Right, I need to get up ridiculously early tomorrow at 12 noon. 12 noon UK time? UK time, yes. Oh my God, you poor baby. Jesus Christ, I will have had my midlife crisis by then. The new show 10. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back, and we're going to answer some questions for you as usual. You can send those questions into us either via email, show at the new.show, or on Twitter, at asknewshow. And do let us know if you want to remain anonymous, otherwise we might read your name out. And if you want to support creation of these episodes, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash asknewshow. And thank you everyone who is supporting us. And remember, you can get an ad-free RSS feed if you support us for $5 or more. So, the first one then. What's the best smell and what's the worst smell? I got a few, like, best smells, to be honest. It's super hard to narrow it down to just one best smell. But I think, like, one of my favorite smells is, like, coffee. I got this candle that's called Chestnut Macchiato, and it's (laughs) incredible. (laughs) Wow. But also, I like sweet smells, too, like um, like vanilla. Um, there was this, I don't know if they still make it or whatever, but there was this body spray that an old girlfriend used to wear from Bath & Body Works. It's called Warm Vanilla Sugar, and that is an incredible scent. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it's just good stuff. When Claire was pregnant with Sophie, she uh, had a, an aversion to the smell of coffee. So if I, if I ever made coffee, she would almost instantly want to vomit. Uh, couldn't have it anywhere near the house. She was just couldn't stand the smell of it, which was really weird. Is that when you decided to start going to McDonald's for your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I think a best smell for me is cumin. I think I just... I just love the smell and it makes me think of curry, obviously, which is a good thought to have. Um, but whenever I make anything that requires cumin, I'll get the little jar. And as soon as I open it, before I get any out, I just hold it to my nose and just have a big sniff. And I might even call my daughter and go, Sophie, I've got the cumin out and she'll come and just sniff the cumin before. I mean, it's not like it's rare or you know, it's on a high shelf and she's not allowed to touch it. She's 16, but we don't often get the cumin down and open it. I know it's such an exciting life I lead, but, <laughs> but when, when I do, I have to just sit there and sniff it for a while. It's just a glorious smell. And when it's, when it's cooking, when you warm the spice up in, in a pan before you start cooking, it's even better. Uh, so yeah, cumin is without doubt, probably my favorite smell. Do you feel like that smells better than uh, garlic and onions? Well, that's what I was going to say. Frying onions is the best smell, especially when you're drunk. The smell of like a hot dog stand or whatever um, around Trafalgar Square late at night near the night bus stops. There's usually, or there used to be before the event, uh, guys there with these portable um, hot dog van things and the smell of onions is just so delicious. It just attracts piss heads from all over central London and <laughs> then they get sold these like five or six quid really cheap horrible hot dogs but it's the onions that just really make it it's only once they caramelize that they smell like that though right you, you first chuck them in the pan you get nothing or you get the 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 smell of them you know that makes you want to cry but after a while once they start caramelizing that's only, it's only at that point I think you get decent onion smell but for me 
cumin smells great anytime just straight out the jar i don't have to do anything i don't have to get drunk and go to trafalgar square to smell cumin (laughs) well i've got another one that dan just reminded me of you said vanilla well it's a vanilla like smell and that is nitrocellulose lacquer and uh, that's a very strange thing to say, but that's the the finish on Gibson guitars. And if you get a new-ish one, they still smell of it. And it just smells this sweet, sickly, vanilla-type smell. And it's not because of the smell itself, but it's because of what I associate it with. My Flying V, when I first bought that, it stank of it. And it was just... Like, I thought that there was something strange about it at first, but then when I researched it, I found out, no, that's what Gibson guitars smell like when they're new. And so for me, that smell is just, it, it, the next time I smell it, it's going to be very, very nice for me. Speaking of drunk piss heads, I got to say the worst smell has got to be like hot old dry piss. <laughs> I don't know how you can top that. I think, uh, I think we're going to have a hard time getting a worse smell because, you know, that smell when you go to like any major city and it's just hot dry old piss smell just everywhere it's just getting in your mouth (laughs) it is disgusting definitely but it's not the worst smell i mean we we all surely know what the worst smell is well i i don't know but i think the worst smell which i only usually smell if someone in the house me or anyone has gastroenteritis or some other you know, bacterial bug in the tummy that results in projectile vomit and diarrhea. The smell of diarrhea, like it, it makes me want to puke, unfortunately, which leads to another conundrum about which way round you face while you're having this bodily calamity. If you're sat on the bog and, uh, flavor is flooding out, then, uh, that, that smell can often make me gag and there's not many smells that make me gag and that that is one of them and it's rather unfortunate <laughs> given the predicament usually well mine is related to it and that is uh, a pig farm i once for some reason visited a pig farm and i can only describe it like i did at the time and that is it smelled like 50 blokes shit and it was just the worst it was making me wretch and just like, i just had to get away from it See, I think mine's better in some ways because yours requires 50 men's shit. Mine is one man's shit, and that's all it takes. I'm just saying, whatever it is, if you heat it up, it's worse. (laughs) There's no way on God's green earth you're getting me to heat up diarrhea. Not for anyone. (laughs) What does the increasing popularity of ARM mean for Linux users? cheap, low-cost computers that can't run some of the software that they need at the moment, uh, generally, uh, because the world is currently x86 predominantly on the laptop and desktop and server, so a lot of proprietary applications are built for x86 and not for ARM. Um, I mean, that's less of a problem where you've got web-based applications or if you're totally reliant on free and open-source software, which can be built for various architectures, but... I think ARM on the laptop and desktop has been relatively capable at low end for a long while now because there's been plenty of ARM-based Chromebooks that run a browser and are perfectly okay for a student to take to college and have a decently high 
battery life and can take notes in a browser and they just don't know or care the f- what processor architecture is in the middle of it. Just like most people don't care the processor architecture in their phone or their tablet. It's just a, it's a device. Um, so it might mean that there are more of these devices, but at the moment, I'm not sure we'll get to the point where there'll be significant uptick in Linux users on more workstation level hardware that's ARM based. So I'm not entirely sure that there is going to be this big sea change with lots of new ARM hardware, you know, what with Apple moving over and the availability of things like PinePhone and PineBook Pro and stuff like that. I'm not sure. Well, surely once Apple starts having high-end machines, then the companies in the Windows world are going to follow suit and they're going to force Microsoft to make Windows on ARM better. And you're going to have these higher-end workstations that run ARM and have long battery life and all the rest of it. And if that happens, is that good or bad for Linux users? I would say it's bad because each device still needs to have a unique image for it. And so you, there's none, there won't be any of this just download Ubuntu and install it on the laptop. It'll have to be a specific image for it. And for me, the increasing popularity of ARM I think is it's good in terms of the hobbyist end of things, Raspberry Pis, the Pinebook Pro and stuff like that, and the other ARM boards. But I think at the high end, I think it's bad news, certainly for Linux on the desktop. I'm not convinced by your suggestion that uh, OEMs will suddenly start making ARM laptops just because Apple are. Nobody made PowerPC laptops just because Apple were. There's There's no correlation that just because Apple switch architecture, everyone else switches architecture. Yeah, there are certain technological advances that happen in the Apple bubble that do, do cross over to the Windowsy bubble, but there are certain things that, that really don't. And I, I'm not convinced that there will be this big surge of uh, ODMs and OEMs saying, oh, well, we need ARM-based processors in laptops now, yeah, because Apple do it, we need it under Windows. I'll play this back to you in a couple of years there, because I think you're dead wrong. I think companies do follow what Apple do. Even before the Apple Watch came out, there was a bunch of Android smartwatches that were terrible, and that was all based on just the fucking rumor that Apple were going to do it. Right, but that's the problem. You you end up with a bunch of people who try and copycat Apple badly. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get... Uh, a bunch of high-end Windows 10 running very long battery life, very high performance uh, Windows computers just because people are following Apple. Yeah, you'll probably get a lot of cheap, crap, Chinese knockoff things that look a bit like an Apple laptop and also have an ARM CPU. But that doesn't mean it's successful. I just think you're wrong. I think the likes of Dell and Lenovo will make high-end ARM laptops. Who's going to make the silicon? Good question. I do think something that's really interesting about the experience that we've had with Pinebook Pro is, like Joe said, right now, the way things are with ARM, you don't really make like a generic image for like any ARM device. Like we make a specific image for Pinebook Pro. And this is way different from the way our regular image is built. And it's kind of given us more direction where we can actually do a lot more with the hardware on Pinebook Pro that we can in our 
generic x86 image as far as like having a target hardware platform lets you do more interesting tweaks like with touchpad firmware or keyboard firmware or uh, different bootload settings or like you can really get in there a little more detailed and i wonder if we'll see more distributions that are focused to a specific hardware platform that maybe have a bit more refinement because we kind of do have this issue right now of trying to run on absolutely everything is really difficult and there's lots of weird miscellaneous hardware incompatibilities because things are completely out of our control hmm. i'm not convinced i i mean yeah okay i i agree that it is nice that you can have a fixed hardware platform that you can target and you know what's inside the device and you can tailor all the drivers and tweak them so you know that it's going to work well on that device and what you're basically talking about there is apple that's exactly what they do they control the hardware and software stack from top to bottom and so they can fine-tune it for each device that's in their product lineup because they have a very fixed number of SKUs that they sell i gotta tell you it's pretty nice (laughs) i'm a little envious (laughs) right and you started by saying you know this whole weirdness with arm that we have currently where you you have to make a bespoke image for a device because it's not like plug and play and um, the same kind of auto detection of hardware that you get on x86 we've been saying that for years years and years and years arm has always been like this and it's a bit of a shit show because it means that you a new device comes along and someone has to create these bespoke images that's why there's all these bespoke Android images for all these wacky phones and um, each of the different distro manufacturers are making their own bespoke images for that one hardware platform. And I don't think that works all the while that the sales of that one hardware platform are so low. If it was a mainstream device, like a high-end mainstream device that we could target that was going to generate decent sales and generate decent revenue, sure, that makes more sense. But device that's so low in the price point that there's almost no margin on it so who's going to make any money out of and who's going to pay for the engineering to make the bespoke image for that thing it's all right when you've got infinite money like apple do but the distros don't have infinite money to do that especially when they're doing the same work and the work is being duplicated across five or six different distros it makes no sense I don't know. I think I could see a future where we develop a partnership with a certain manufacturer, whether that's Pine or or some other upstart. But I think that might be like a really productive path forward is to say, hey, we're the software partner to this hardware company. And then we make this complete product. And then you know that it's always going to work. So what you're saying is that ARM might be what enables a Linux distro to offer the first Apple-like experience. Or like a Chromebook-like experience either. I mean, I, you know, I, I know it's family, so it's different, but I was just kind of casually talking to someone um, in my family, and, and they were like, wait, how much are these computers? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, why would I buy a Chromebook when I could buy this? You know, I, th- I think it could be a competitor that someone who's not really interested in Linux can go, I can buy this product that supports this thing that... I know someone who cares about it. You know, if we can kind of communicate more of like, this is why you should should care, 
it gives more of an entry level to now it's a product that people can just buy instead of like, this is a thing that hobbyists and tinkerers are only able to do. Where do you draw the line between security and convenience and how and why has that changed in the last 10 years? And this is from VG. I don't know, man. I kind of feel like security is really convenient these days. I I feel like it was way less convenient, not even really that long ago. But now that we have like password managers that have like integrated two-factor and stuff inside of it, then I, I really don't see the reason why you shouldn't be able to have like really complicated, unique passwords for every website. And it's like super easy now. I don't know. I saw this as slightly different angle, more of the uh security and convenience like things like having a ring doorbell or something like that the convenience of having a thing that you can just attach to the wall and when someone presses a button you get a live video feed versus the security implication that that video feed is going off through some other company's servers before it gets to you well it's aws isn't it well wherever it goes uh it's not staying within your network it's it's you know the video files are sat somewhere and whatever security implications that has um the convenience for some may trump that i think what's happened in the last few years is either through linux but also other low-cost operating systems there have been devices manufactured that people can just buy and put in their home whether these are voice assistants lady cylinders or whatever you want to call them there are a lot of things in people's homes now which make life more convenient whether it's more easily managing your shopping list or more easily playing music when you're in the shower or knowing when there's someone at the door you know all these things are convenient but there's this overriding worry that that data is going somewhere and for some people they think about that and care about that and thus don't have those devices in their house but for others the convenience of all of those scenarios makes it worthwhile having them yeah like dan with his uh, bluetooth scales well home kit's all local i don't use anything that has to go through like a remote server everything's all local network really so when you use those scales then, how does the data get to wherever it gets to? It's connected to my Wi-Fi network and it just goes to my phone. Right. To an app on your phone, presumably. Yeah. But it's all it's all local network. Like if it doesn't have to be connected to the internet. Right. But that data is probably going up to the cloud somewhere from your phone. I guess that's true, maybe, for the scale, possibly. But for like light bulbs or any of that shit that's all local network that doesn't go to a server of any kind i think for me what's changed in the last 10 years well it's a bit more than that is that i have actually learned a bit about security and i used to have a stripped down version of windows connected to the internet with no security or anything running as the admin account this is when i first got into computers so probably more like 15 years ago maybe a bit longer um, and now i will only connect Linux to the network. Well, and my old Mac uh, to some extent, but not very much. But I don't like to connect Windows at all to the network. If I need it for printing or whatever it is that I'm doing, then it's it's pretty much um, firewalled off completely. I just don't install the network driver or I put it in airplane mode or whatever. What do you know that all the enterprises that have Windows 10 on their desktop don't? I don't know anything, and that's the point. There could be anything going on in Windows, especially with Windows 10. 
that I just don't really trust it. I just sort of inherently by default don't trust it because it's not open source. It's probably fine. It, it's almost certainly fine. But why take the risk? It definitely seems like the less you can be connected to the general internet, the better. Yeah, exactly. Even if there's not anything like malicious there that, you know, that kind of leaves open those attack vectors, right? I think I've come to the conclusion life's too short. And while I'll take, you know, mediocre security precautions, you know, going back to what the question was, I think I favor the convenience more. I'm not, you know, leaving my house unlocked and, you know, people to just wander in and I don't leave my passwords on a post-it note on the screen or anything stupid like that. It's somewhere in between. But I actually value the convenience of having that smart speaker and I value having the camera or whatever devices. I value them and so I have them. And fair enough, it might be that they're sending some statistics back to home base about how many times I've pressed the doorbell or how many times I've asked to play Earth, Wind and Fire or whatever it might be. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like it, it really doesn't matter that some AI algorithm knows the number of times I've played the Tron Legacy soundtrack. Why do I give a shit? I don't care. It doesn't matter. There are bigger things I've got to worry about in my life than whether some bot somewhere can tell me, hey, Earthwind and Fire is is on offer now. You might want to buy this CD or you might want to see them in concert somewhere because actually, frankly, I might <laughs> because I listen to the songs. And so that the tailored advertising that you get through some of this data, whatever you call it, leakage or whatever you might want to call it, is to some people valuable rather than seeing random adverts for pet food for an animal I don't have. I'd way rather see tailored advertising. And so if the convenience means that I'm a little bit less secure, well, so be it. I actually quite like the convenience. I guess that is a big hole, right? Is no no voice assistant is local. They all rely on servers, right? Yeah, that's why I haven't fucking got one. Yeah, they pretty much, it's like an open book to whatever you're saying to it. And I, I don't know that I trust that it's not listening when it says it's not listening. It just seems kind of eerily coincidental that sometimes advertisements will pop up and things that are supposed to be like private conversations or text messages. And that really creeps me out. And I don't really like that at all. And if there's a way that I could stop that from, from happening, I, I would definitely do that. But I kind of agree with Alan that it's not enough of an issue for me to go, well, I just won't ever use a voice assistant because it's really convenient when I've got dirty hands in the kitchen to be able to change a song. And I know that's fucking stupid, but you know, it's just a thing that I like to do now. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to give up that easiness just because it feels a little creepy that I got an advertisement, even though I hate it. Well, in the universe of 1984, that story, I like to think that the telescreens that everyone has got were not forced upon them. People went out and bought them because they thought it was a good idea and then found themselves in a dystopian nightmare as a result of it. And that's how I feel about voice assistants. That's why I haven't got one, why I don't have one on my phone, anything like that. No, thank you. I'm going to be that weird guy who just doesn't go for that. And 
maybe life is less convenient, but I've never had one. So I don't know what that convenience is like. I'm just used to not having things be automated and stuff. And I'm quite happy. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think there were other members of my household who didn't appreciate what it could do. And once I installed it and set it all up, having it respond to, you know, turn this on, turn that off, turn this up, turn this down, you know, whatever it is, you realize actually this is quite a nice, not labor saving device because it's not, you know, a huge amount of labor to get off your ass out of bed and walk across the room and flick a switch or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's just a, it's just a nice thing to have. And just like any, you know, first world problem, it is very much that. It's a thing that I don't have to have. And yeah, I could dig a hole in the ground and go live in a yurt or something in the forest. I actually quite like being able to say, play my favorite artist and it plays it. You're a lazy swine. Have you ever struggled with the paralysis of choice, especially when deciding on a tool, service, or product to use, tech or otherwise? And this is from Brett. I'm so bad about this that I like literally will go without something for way longer than I should because I can't decide like what the best one is. Just like irritatingly long amounts of time spent on like trying, like I need new kitchen shears. Mine suck and they can't cut and they're so bad, but I just, I narrowed it down to two ones that I like and I can't figure out which ones that I want. And so I'm just going to live with these shitty shears for, I don't know how long until I can finally decide (laughs) which new ones to get. I am the complete opposite of that. If I needed a new pair of kitchen scissors, I would go to Amazon and I would search and I would look through the ones with the best reviews and the one that was the best price point and the one that had um, the soonest delivery if I'm in a hurry to get this thing and I would just go buy it now and then forget about it. I wouldn't waste any brain capacity. My purchasing power is I walk into a shop and I walk directly to the thing I want and I pick it up and I walk to the till and I pay for it and I walk out. I don't browse. And so that means I don't get paralyzed by choice. The The supermarket I go to has basically one of everything. Like there aren't five different types of tins of tomato. There aren't the organic ones and the low cost ones and the, you know, the premium ones. There's basically one tin of tomatoes and you walk in and you pick up the tin of tomatoes, put it in your basket and you walk away with tomatoes. And I don't waste any time in the stores. And I find that a fulfilling experience of not having the paralysis of choice. If I go somewhere like a shop where I'm not entirely sure what I want and I have the array of products. It frustrates me. So I, I try and avoid that situation because I just find it a monumental waste of time. I massively suffer from paralysis of choice, but not when it comes to things that I buy, because generally speaking, I'm more like you, Popey. I'll just look on Amazon. Just if it looks good, the price looks good, just whatever, I'll buy it. Um, like I was looking for a Raspberry Pi case the other day and I literally just got the cheapest one that didn't look terrible. And so yeah, that's that's not a problem for me. What is a problem for me is in my creativity with music specifically, because I'm interested in loads of different genres and I can kind of um, play and make music with various 
different styles or whatever, and I can play guitar and drums and to lesser extent uh, piano and I can sing terribly and stuff, it means that I just have this terrible choice of what to make. If you said to me, you have to make me a drum and bass song, then I'd make a facsimile of a drum and bass song and it'd be all right. But um, I, I don't make one because I can add some guitar and I can just do a bunch of other stuff with it and uh, I can make it uh, a mixture of genres or whatever. And so I find myself unable to commit to actually making anything. So I think that, yeah, definitely when it comes to creativity, I suffer from this all the time, but not when it comes to picking tools and services. I generally just pick something and stick with it forever, whether that is Google Drive or Zubuntu or whatever. I definitely feel like the hardest part about making decisions is figuring out what the constraints are. Because like you said, once you have constraints, then it's much clearer what you need to do. And if you're in some kind of situation where it's just completely open-ended and you you don't have any known constraints, then it becomes impossible to choose what to do. So I feel like for me, that's always the fastest way to actually pick something is to figure out, okay, like, what are the constraints on this problem and optimize for those specific constraints? It's funny you should say about uh, content. From your side, it's content creation. I think the only thing where I have had this paralysis of choice is content consumption. So I can scroll through my podcast app and see a vast array of podcasts to listen to and not pick any of them to listen to. And I can open Netflix and scroll and scroll and scroll through Netflix. And there's tons of stuff there that I could probably watch and that friends have recommended or added to lists somewhere. But if I just open Netflix and scroll, I'll often find myself uh, paralyzed by choice and just end up picking a film that I've seen before mm. or a TV series that I'm slowly plodding my way through rather than try something new. And that's... That's terrible because there's so much content on there that I'm paying for every month. I should just, you know, make a list and start at the top and work my way through and get through all the content that's that's available. But yeah, it, that that user interface just paralyzes me with just so many covers that I just can't can't pick one. Yeah, I had that same thing the other night. I was looking for a film to watch, and so I went to Amazon Prime and was looking through, um, and I, I would have settled for a TV show or a film, whatever. And I just it was just overwhelming and in the end i ended up watching something that i'd seen before because i knew it was good i didn't remember much about it it'd been a long time since i'd seen it so i thought yeah i'll watch that again rather than one of the exciting new things because there's just too much choice whereas at the weekend i stayed at an airbnb and the tv in the room only had terrestrial digital TV service. So there was no Netflix. I mean, obviously I could have used it on my phone, but on the TV that was in the room, I had just the basic uh, channels available on terrestrial. And uh, I found a channel very quickly and, uh, and just tuned in and watched something. And it was a film that I've seen before, but I wanted to watch it again. Um, but yeah, I was very quickly able to find something to watch because I had such a limited number of choices. And that's why Elementary OS is the best distro. And KDE is so fucking hard to use. (laughs) 